The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay, listen up, because we got two markets here. That's right. What we've got is the House of Pain. House of Pleasure. The House of Pleasure. House of Pleasure. Has walls made of traditional stocks that hold up under scrutiny. But the House of Pain has been fully apart. And today the walls came tumbling down. Down sinking 123 points. SB losing 0.53%. NASDAQ tumbling 0.98%, where the House of Pain resides. So, how do we end up with two markets? It's simple. See, we got the market made up of the old timers who know how the business cycle works. When the economy's accelerating, they got a whole host of stocks to buy. The good old uh, fashion cyclicals that can make you fortunes as the economy reopens. These are the stocks that have driven the market to new highs. They're the stocks of the roaring 20s, the boom stocks. The ones you have to own as the world goes back to normal. Well, then you have the second market. Oh, that second market. The one that's dominated by the younger cohort that's been drawn in by no commission trading and an easy to use Robinhood app and some very exciting stocks that made people feel. Well, let's just say made them say we'll get the next Tesla. All right. The old school players own stocks that the second group has never heard of. I mean, the old school guys, they own Emerson Electric. Ingersoll Rand. I mean, those names mean nothing to the younger crowd. They wouldn't know a Honeywell if it hit them over the head. Their interest can't be held by a PPG or even a Home Depot or Lowe's. They'd rather slit their own throats than own J.P. Morgan or Wells Fargo. Too boring. Yet that's exactly what's been working lately. Unfortunately, what's working seems to mean nothing to this new generation of investors. They don't want what's working. They want excitement. Excitement's great when your favorite stocks are going higher. Ooh, but it's a nightmare when things go bad and things are going 
very bad for this group. Look, generally speaking, this is a strong market with lots of fabulous winners, right? The averages keep hitting new high. I mean, happy days are here again. I talk about it every night. But there are also some stunningly bad losers, and they tend to be owned by who? By the newcomers. I want to spend some time on the furniture, the tables, and chairs that we discover when we walk into this house of excruciating pain. So who do we see, sirs? We see Tesla. Yes, here's a stock that had been going up on a straight line until January. Hey, did you know this? Did you know that Tesla's basically unchanged for 2021? Tesla! Sliding ever lower after its peak when it joined the S&P 500. Seasoned investors know not to chase stocks that are already up huge. When you've got a big gain, you ring the register. But novice traders, they can't resist. They don't realize that you're supposed to sell the news, not buy it. Again, until a few months ago, Tesla was the greatest stock story ever told. Still about 1,200% over the past couple of years. This is the stuff that dreams are made of. Tesla's incredible run brought, the, the, the run brought in legions of young investors. They bought the stock, but no, they were never happy with just the stock, right? They had to go buy the call options to get more leverage. They had to go borrow money, anything that worked. Now, they couldn't, some of these firms don't let you borrow, but they, the calls they let you do. Call options work great when stocks are soaring, but when stocks stagnate or go lower, Oh, there's nothing worse, especially the out of the out of money or let's say the um, well, you know, the mildly in the money, the at the money. Oh, my. They all got worthless because Tesla has stopped going up. Now, some of that's because of the sector rotation with money managers swapping out of fast growing tech stocks for the boom and bust cyclicals. However, it sure doesn't help that the news flow on Tesla has been, let's say, suboptimal. We just had that terrible accident that left two people dead. Apparently because there was no one at the wheel. I don't think it's fair to blame Tesla for this one. Seems like the fault of the driver, or in this case, non-driver. But a bad headline is a bad headline. So Tesla's in the doghouse. Of course, there are many other residents in this house of pain. You've got the lockdown stocks that benefit from the pandemic. Lots of new investors fell in love with Zoom last year. But Zoom's now plunged from 588 to 324. Third, you know what they loved? They loved the cruise stocks, which was great. Those got crushed too. Or they went down. The balance sheets were bad. It worked like a charm. Because the stocks were so oversold. Now, though, the cruise lines are stalled with a CDC that seems determined, I think, to put them out of business. Now, that may not sound too bad, but when a stock stalls out, the people who own call options get their guts ripped out. You own calls on the cruise ships. You've been gaffed. Fourth, the most devastating wing of the House of Pain, the SPACs. So many people chase these electric vehicle spec plays out of a desire to find the next Tesla. Maybe some of them will turn out to be gems, but for now, the whole edifice has collapsed. We had QuantumScape on the show Friday. I thought they acquitted themselves well. The battery play had been one of the better SPACs, but their projections are very aggressive, and they don't really account for the possibility of failure. With the stock now down 76% from its highs, it's a battery of broken dreams. Now, hey, there could be worse. The rival Romeo Power is down 80% from its highs after the mother of all number cuts. Where are, wherefore art thou, Romeo? No, we're good. You can say the same thing about Lucid Motors or Fisker. Fantastic concepts, hideous stocks. Lucid is an amazing car company, but its merger with Churchill Capital 4 has been a mess. Now, get this. That SPAC is up 95% for the year at 19 and change. Wouldn't That looks good, right? Right? You think it's good? But the stock traded as high as 64 a couple of months ago. Yeah, 64 to 19. Uh, Buyers got too carried away speculating about the terms of the lucid deal. 
Even the best are struggling. MP Materials, which mines rare earth minerals, that had been holding up nicely, but then they did a secondary offering, and then bingo, stock goes from 51 to 29. All the charging station stocks have been wobbed. Anything that touches an electric vehicle, van, trucks, sunk into quicksand, Lordstown Motors, XL Fleet, Nikola, nightmare stocks. Fifth, let's not forget about the alternative power stocks like fuel cell plug power. These companies are trying to make hydrogen fuel cells a reality, but you had to believe they'd rack up big orders driven by huge shift to green hydrogen. But there is no shift to green hydrogen. Instead, uh, shocking to me, you got an accounting irregularity of plug power. Accounting irregularities, they equal sell. Six House of Pain, Peloton. Hey, these guys have been doing brisk business with high-tech exercise equipment, but now they're dealing with the fallout of a horrifying video from the U.S. Consumer Product uh, Safety Commission that made me never want to go near a treadmill again. It's a real-life video of a toddler getting pulled underneath the machine with his rubber ball. It is one of the most frightening things I've ever seen. Hollywood couldn't make something as scary as that clip. Meanwhile, Bitcoin got hammered this weekend on worries about potential regulation. Vicious weekend margin call, by the way. Like I keep telling you, when you got a big gain, you need to ka-ching. I could go on and on about the house of pain versus the house of pleasure. But what matters is this. If you're in the plain old-fashioned equities, call them the pose, you're reeling in the years. You're still in away the time. However, if you've just started out and you've never been bloodied like so many of us grizzled veterans, are you gathering up the tears? Have you had enough of mine? Yet last year's biggest winners haven't just been left behind. They've been turned into epic money losers. Meanwhile, the boom and bust cyclicals shrugged off today's sell-off with a plum. Bottom line, if you contain your losers, the winners will take care of themselves. But if you try to hold the line in the house of pain, your portfolio is going to be beaten to a pulp. I think we should go right to Rudy in Texas. Rudy. Jim, thank you for taking my call, buddy, and welcome back to the studio in the morning. It's great oh, to have my, you with my yeah, coffee and me? David and ne- Carl. Next to Faber, you can make fun of me and I can see it. What's up? Hey, every kiss begins to favor. My question is, <laughs> you like that. I, like that yeah. I know you know it well. I had some call options for the past couple of weeks, and last Tuesday I took a haircut. What am I missing in the stock or in the semis that I should have seen coming so I didn't, uh, I didn't take a haircut on that deal? Well, first I need a haircut, but my guy hadn't been vaccinated yet. I'm not going to barbers not vaccinated. I, I, that's a point I'm making. Okay, Micron, is, uh, it's tripled. And, you know, when you get a stock that's up this much, it's going to stall on good news. So, Rudy, I want you to be patient, but understand that stock is up so much that it could not go even higher on that number. I think we go to Jimmy in Kentucky. Jimmy! Hey, Jim. Happy Booyah. My question is about Walmart. Since Flipkart is going on sometime this year and potentially $35 billion or more in profit, will this propel Walmart higher? And do you believe you will see Walmart above? One fifty cents. Did I be wrong, Walmart? And do you recommend to buy? No, no. I went to my Quaker Town Walmart this weekend, and you can eat off the floor. I don't know why you would want to eat off the floor, but you could. And I think that when I see the lower prices, admittedly, a lot of the material made in China, but you know what? The bargains that they have, and it was packed, and I love my Walmart. I know that sounds nutty, but I love my Walmart, and you should too. The stock's going higher. All right. We've got two markets. If you contain your losses, the winners will take care of yourself. But if you don't, oh, man, buddy, tonight, is your portfolio up for grab? 
I'm telling you what to make of the largest back merger we've ever seen, and maybe it won't gaff you. But then, why Constellation Brands could offer a case study on waiting to buy on a pullback. But first, looking for positives in the retail space? I'm eyeing opportunities with a man who knows. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As we get into the meat of earnings season, we've seen some incredible momentum from retailers, especially in the apparel space. What is that blowout from Levi's or the fabulous pre-announcement from American Eagle Outfitters last week? We had them on the show. With the great reopening almost upon us, I am a gigantic believer in retail. But what's the best way to play it? Now, so many of these stocks have run. That is not a rhetorical question. I really want to know, which is why we're turning to the best retail analyst in the world. No hyperbole. It's true. Matt Boss at J.P. Morgan. Last week, Boss and his team hosted dozens of executives at their seventh annual retail roundup conferences. You have to go there if you're in retail. And this morning, he published a very bullish recap. I got to get to him. We got to find out what's going on in this business. So Matt Boss, managing director and senior retail analyst extraordinaire at J.P. Morgan. Matt, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks. It's great to be back, Jim. All right. So this is the seventh, uh, seventh time you've hosted this. Now, I've got to tell you. When I read your pieces this morning, 
I am beginning to believe that you think that this may be one of the most bullish times we've ever had in retail. Jim, I would say the tone across the conference was optimism. And having covered the stocks for more than a decade, it had to be the most bullish tone across the board, both from the low end all the way up to the high end. The key to me, though, you have the near-term dynamic where we have government assistance, but that wasn't where the confidence lied. The confidence from these management teams was we have a strong consumer before this started, and now you have a strong setup after. You have debt ratios at 40-year lows and savings rates in the mid-teens. So we have a strong consumer, and we have structural changes. All of these, consumer, all of these companies are operating with less inventory on hand, E-commerce is the highest margin channel that's going to be higher structurally going forward. So you have companies that I think are operating at a higher level exiting this pandemic and many that I think are set for a very strong setup to come out of this crisis a lot stronger than they entered. Okay, so Matt, a lot of people have told me this move is done. Obviously, from what you just said, that is a grave mistake to feel that the move is done. I think we're I think we're in early innings here. I think if anything, we're in wave one of a multi-wave recovery for this consumer and for retail. Meaning, if I look at the categories that these that these companies were talking to, what's happening is you're seeing continued strength in athletic that's tied to casualization. We're seeing continued strength in home that was tied to the nesting. But now the next leg is the consumer's more mobile coming out of this. And if I think about the waves of recovery here, the first quarter, we raised our numbers across almost every company that we cover, and we think that nearly every company beats street consensus across retail. The second quarter is going to be tied to vaccinations and a more mobile consumer. The third quarter, I think, is where into the back half of the year, things really get exciting. We had companies that were citing likely the best back to school for, for, uh, for consumer on tap, maybe the best of our careers. When you have a denim cycle, I know you had Levi's on a couple weeks ago, a denim cycle that could be the first in a decade. You have additional stimulus with the child tax care credit. And then on top of that, we have this continued consumer where I think Europe kicks in towards the end of the summer and potentially global tourism might even be a 2022 next leg catalyst. So I think we're in early, not even middle innings here in terms of this recovery. Okay, so let's take a case at something that you brought attention to us. Thank heaven we've been referencing it, which is the lag trade. It's up over 200% for three names. I would presume that those are all done. It sounds like they're not. Not even close, Jim. So (sighs) if I think about that lag trade, the idea behind it was three value names, each of which had an embedded growth vehicle. LB was the first. LB has a Bath and Body Works concept that comes out of this pandemic in a much stronger position with a bigger market share opportunity. The second was American Eagle. I know you had Jay on the show last week. To me, Aerie, which is owned by American Eagle, might be the hottest company in consumer right now. So you have that underlying an inclusive trend with a tie into that denim. And the third would be the gap where If I think about the gap now going forward, we have a string of catalysts. Old Navy, I think, takes share at the low end. You have continued stimulus, as I cited. You have the Kanye Yeezy launch at the core gap. You have Banana Republic that's tied to the reopening. And all of these all of these subsectors are, again, tied to this denim trend that I think people may be underestimating this. This is a looser fit, a new silhouette. And if this kicks in come the back half of the year, now you have a cycle that could tie into the tops and also footwear with multiple companies additionally uh, cited in the global brands tied to that. 
We think Nike, Lululemon, and VF Corp, going back to that casual trend that I think comes out with a higher market share, I think all of those companies have another 20% between now and year end as well. Wow, Matt, I've got to tell you, this feels great because so many people feel like they've missed it. And I want it's going to be my mission to tell them not only have you not missed it, but there's maybe at least a year ahead, it sounds like. I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, your conference is the gem. It's the one that everybody cares about. And I really appreciate you going on Mad Money. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Okay, that, that, that's Matt Boss. He's manager director of department stores, especially soft lines at J. Morgan. I hope you heard what I heard, which is that there is much more ahead for retail. The consumer, the stores, the theories. I like it. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, do your homework, drink responsibly, and make mad money? We break down what just worked for a star in the constellation of Kramer Faves. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Listen to me. Every time I tell you to buy on a pullback, I can practically hear you groan. <laughs> Why wait? Simple. You wait because the market's always giving you these ridiculous pullbacks for no legitimate reason. So a little patience goes a long way. I'm going to give you a textbook case tonight. I'm going to give you Constellation Brands. That's the alcohol company you know as Corona Modelo. Two weeks ago, Constellation reported what I knew was a very good quarter. Yet its stock cratered. It fell 10 points instantly. It was the worst performer in the S&P 500 for the day. When I read the commentary, it was all pretty lukewarm. The analysts uh, downgrade here, price cut, <laughs> price target cut there. But when we had CEO Bill Newlands on the show, and that was that night, all I could think of was, who the heck is selling this darn stock? I would have called them one time uh, morons, but you know what? I, that Those days are over. Constellation's, Constellation's got double-digit growth in its beer brands, including 30% for Pacifico, which used to be the best seller at my soon-to-be-reopened Mexican place, Bar San Miguel. This company's the only real grower in the whole packaged goods space. Can you imagine? The stock should be a slam dunk. 
So what happened here? Well, Constellation's management tends to be very conservative. This time, their outlook included $1 billion to $1.1 billion in capital expenditures and highly elevated ad spending for new products. Oh, boy, the analysts were sure not. They, the analysts want that cut. I mean, they're just like thinking, please. And they wanted a big boost for the dividend and a step up in the buyback. Constellation really maintained its previous capital return forecast. Why? These capital goods, these, these analysts who cover this segment, the consumer goods, they don't get it. They, they're not giving you a bigger dividend because Constellation's got so many opportunities to invest in. See, they'd rather spend that money growing their new product lines the way a tech company does, not a ketchup company. If you listen closely to our interviewer, did any homework at all, the pullback was obviously a buying opportunity. Sure enough, the stock is now up three bucks from where it was trading before the avalanche of selling started. Constellation is a shockingly positive story that somehow got graded as if it were just another no-growth packaged goods play, where we only care about cost controls and capital returns because they got nothing else to crow about. All right, what does make Constellation so much stronger than every other company I follow in this segment? First of all, this company was condemned for actually having growth prospects. Don't get me wrong. I love dividends and buybacks as much as the next guy. But when a company tells you they have so many opportunities, they need to spend more money on capacity and advertising and digital advertising. I mean, that is what I call a high quality problem. Nearly everyone else in the industry is trying to close plants, do more with less. Oh, that's not how Constellation plays it. A 30 to 35 percent increase in capacity is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and confidence. It's a positive, not a negative. The analysts were incredulous about all of that spending. They were angry. But given the company's track record, I think they should have been excited. Second, while Modelo, Corona, and Pacifico, their three main brands, have done quite well during the pandemic, the biggest market for these beers is, of course, bars and restaurants. Now that the great reopening is upon us, they're spending big on social media, also becoming a big sponsor for UFC, in order to boost market share. This is their moment. Third, Modelo is now the number three brand by dollar sales in America. Modelo. I mean, you remember like Heineken? I mean, look, these guys moved 145 million cases last year. That's a staggering amount of any for any import. In fact, it's the only imported brand to surpass 10 million barrels. Modelo is doing incredibly well, so well that, again, they don't have enough supply to meet American demand. There are whole swaths of New York where it's impossible to find their best seller, which is Modelo Especial. I can't get it at my bar. And that's not because we're bad customer. It's just not available. There's not enough to go around of their hottest product. Can you imagine if Butter Coors ever had that problem? Fourth, I know hard seltzer seems like a jam category, but last year Constellation launched Corona Hard Seltzer, and it's had an extremely strong start. It's already number four, and it's only just begun to add different flavors. One of the conference call, Newlands was asked about the slowing of the category, and he said, well, slowing? It's growing 40 to 50%. Given Corona's incredible brand recognition, I bet they'll soon be challenging truly, something we bet we'll hear, we will maybe hear about in Boston Beer when they're put on Thursday. My only concern here is, is that when I spoke to James Quincy today about from Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, he did say the Topo Chico hard seltzer just introduced two weeks ago is taking share big in Texas. But look, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Fifth, Pacifico is just a tremendous success story. Now, this long neck beer is a huge hit among the Gen Z crowd. 
something I can attest to personally. Now, look, this one came out of nowhere. I remember when Bob Sands, the last CEO, told me he was going to make a big push with Pacifico, which was the cheapest nationally branded beer in Mexico. Believe me, when you're down there, it was like Keystone. Remember Keystone? You remember guys are so rich, you probably don't remember. Anyway, I couldn't believe my ears, all right? I said, with that price point, you are going to make a fortune? And he said, no, no, no. He figured out that Constellation could charge much more in America for a beer that's so cheap in Mexico. And sure enough, it's growing at a 30% clip at a much higher price point, And that's with COVID still raging. You'll see that brown bottle, yellow label. You'll see it everywhere. Now, get this. They're not done. I think they could do the exact same thing, the premiumization of Victoria. It hasn't pushed very much in the United States yet. It's a beloved and expensive bottled beer in Mexico. I think it will be the next after Pacifico runs its course. Since positive, one of the things that Constellation has taught every other liquor company is known as the premiumization. Uh, last quarter, they sold their lower-priced wines to Gallo, leaving them only with top-shelf brands. Rufino, fabulous Italian wine. Kim Crawford, Miomi, The Prisoner. I had some of that this weekend, which is expanding across a host of wine categories. This group grows at a 2 to 4% clip. I think it's about to step up dramatically. Seventh, Constellation is controlling interest in one I know that you guys don't like, Canopy Growth. That's the best of the Canadian Canada's plays in my book. With legislation spreading from state to state, I think your portfolio needs a pot play. Sooner or later, it will happen at the federal level. That said, Canopy Growth still gets a bad rap because its former CEO spent money like a drunken sailor. That's why I was so thrilled when David Klein, previously the terrific CFO of Constellation, took over as CEO of Canopy. I know many question my choice of Canopy as the preferred way to play legalization because they're losing so much in Canada. A lot of money. The stock certainly has, has, has not been the best performer. But I think the market's underestimating the value of the Constellation partnership. Constellation knows how to produce tastes that people love. They've already got several marijuana beverages that are ready to be shipped as they're refined in Canada. I bet Canopy, get this, you're not going to believe it. It's a bold prediction by me. Turns profitable next year. And that would be a huge win for Constellation. Profitable. Of course, look, there are a lot of one-off speed bumps that could become problems this year. Constellation spent $800 million building a new plant in Mexicali, but it couldn't be open because of water shortages. I bet the Mexican government finds a way to reward this huge employer with some sort of recompense. Medela does a ton of business in Texas. That got hit real hard by Superstorm Sandy. A new line extension for Pacifico could cause earnings hit in the second half. However, here's the bottom line. With all that good news, I thought Constellation would sell off for a little bit and then start rallying again as the investors figured out all the positives. But it recovered even faster than I expected. After the initial hit, the stock took a day to start moving up. So the next time you wait for a pullback of a high-quality stock, you need to be ready to pounce the moment that thing gets hammered for no good reason, which is exactly what happened with STZ. All right, much more made money yet. A SPAC deal that's just too big to ignore. I'm letting you know if you should grab it. Then with a leadership change at GameStop, is it game on or game over? I'm giving you my take. And I got diamond hands, YOLO partners. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Look, at this point, I know you're sick of the SPACs, especially you newcomers and you 
Redditors. The whole group has become toxic and the market's totally lost interest because the losses have been so horrific. Now, I've been warning you about this backlash for months now, telling you that we simply had too many of these deals and the special purpose acquisition vehicle edifice would collapse under its own weight. Every time we stick our necks out for the handful of higher quality players, even, well, guess what happens? Last week, though, we heard about the largest SPAC merger yet. And I got to tell you, I've been looking it over. I think it's too big to ignore. This altimeter growth, which is run by a very smart guy, Brad Gerstner, a venture capitalist with a hot hand. He had a piece of snowflake, which we know we love, Roblox. Wow. Uh, and he's now joining forces with Grab. That's the leading super app platform in Southeast Asia. It's going to be it's going to be a 40 billion dollar deal. And I know. I know, I blanched 40 billion. Does that mean it's going to be 30? Does that mean it's going to be 20? Look, eventually all these deals will stop being thought of as SPACs. They'll just be regular companies, and we want you to get to know the best of them. Grab, in particular, is not some fly-by-night electric vehicle startup. This is a real company, albeit one you're probably not familiar with if you haven't spent much time in the South- Southeast Asia. Grab's like a combination of DoorDash, Instacart, Lyft, and PayPal, with a huge presence in Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, the Philippines, and Vietnam. That's one of the fastest-growing regions on Earth, and that's why they call it a super app. It amalgamates a bunch of different services into a single platform. The last time we talked about a Singapore-based super app was 15 months ago when we highlighted C-Limited as a homework item. I said it was a great story, but it felt like the stock was too expensive. I was wrong. The stock was at 40 now it's at 250 so I don't want to let another one of these get away from me, even if that means wading into dangerous SPAC-infested waters to take a closer look. The thing about Grab, I mean, look at this. It's a great company, but it's also totally out of sync with the Wall Street fashion show. It's a rapidly growing digital play at a time when money managers want smokestack stocks. It's coming public via SPAC merger at a time when investors can't stop puking up their SPACs. This is, a, this is not a gun-to-your-head situation where you need to buy something immediately before it takes off for the stratosphere. I think Grab could spend months marking time, maybe even go lower, simply because it's so out of step with the market zeitgeist. But longer term, i got to tell you, I think it could be a winner. It's got great prospects. So if you get a chance to buy it on weakness, you might want to pounce. And that's why Altimeter Growth is willing to shell out a fortune for this thing. And because this is a SPAC story, Altimeter is what trades right now. And the symbol is A-G-C. I'm give it to you again. A-G-C. What makes me like this one? Oh, God, I can't believe I like it. All right, okay. Grab has taken the number one spot in ride-sharing, food delivery, and online financial services across Southeast Asia. It's a part of the world that's still in the early stages of digital transformation. Or let me put it this way. Grab operates in a region that has twice the population of the U.S. with a lot more room to grow. In Southeast Asia, online delivery only has 11% market penetration, 21% in the United States. Ride-sharing, 3 us five. As for digital financial services, electronic transactions, just 17 for of the total payments in Southeast Asia. We're 82. As digital continues to take share, Grab sees its total addressable market, or TAM, growing from $52 billion last year to more than $180 billion by 2025. But it's not just the future that looks bright. Unlike most SPAC plays, Grab's doing incredibly well right now, right here. Almost all more on the come, not this one. Last year, the company had gross merchandise volume of $12.5 billion, surpassing pre-pandemic levels and more than doubling 
uh, the versus 2018. Across Southeast Asia, Grab controls 72% of the ride-sharing market, 50% of the online food delivery market, 23% of the digital wallet payments. Meanwhile, COVID has been fabulous for the delivery business, driving roughly 300% growth last year, which translated into a 50%-plus uh, revenue growth for the whole company. Plus, the company's made real strides toward profitability. Grab's ride-sharing business is already generating positive earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization in all six of their largest markets. The food delivery business is EBITDA positive in five out of six. That's a big deal. This is not a regular SPAC, a loser. Longer term, Grab's projecting that revenue can keep rising at a 42% compound annual growth rate through 2023. Even the least impressive part of the business, payments, should be able to expand at a 23% clip. Unlike the United States, six out of 10 consumers in Southeast Asia are either unbanked or underbanked, meaning Grab has an opportunity to bypass traditional banking altogether, set everyone up with their digital wallets instead of their, pay, you know, their PayPal alternative. The government of Malaysia actually used Grab to distribute stimulus payments. Of course, we know to take these SPAC forecasts with a grain of salt, if not a whole container of Morton's iodized. But Grab's actually in business right now. This is a real company with a real forecast, not an electric vehicle play that's making guesses about how many years it might take before they even have a product, let alone sales, let alone profitability. So how much could this thing be worth? Right now, Timeter Capital, the SPAC that's merging with Grab, has a stock that trades at 13 bucks and change. That's only up slightly from where it was trading before we started hearing rumors of the Grab deal a little over a month ago. When we got official confirmation last Tuesday, the stock has a choppy session, but only jumped from t- 10% to 15 bucks and change. However, it immediately started selling off the very next day because we know that SPACs are bad, right? It's to the point where it now has given up all its post-announcement gains and then some, which is pretty shocking. That means if you buy it here, you're not paying any kind of SPAC premium. However, I've got to admit, when I first heard this was a $40 billion deal, I couldn't believe my ears. As recently as two years ago, Grab did a private fundraising deal of 14. 14 goes to 42 years. Seems like a huge jump. That said, Gerstner, the venture capitalist buying Altimeter, he did a great job of putting those concerns to rest during an extraordinary appearance in halftime report with Scott Wadner. Long story short, in the last several quarters, Grab has experienced quote, dramatic growth. So, of course, it deserves a higher valuation. But at Altimeter's current price, it values Grab at more than $52 billion, meaning it's trading at roughly 22 times this year's sales forecast. Pretty expensive. Same ballpark as that company, C-Limited, I mentioned, which trades at 16 times sales, albeit with much higher growth rate. At these levels, Grab feels a little rich to me, but I think it gets a lot more attractive. It'll pull back to 1150 or even 10 bucks. I wouldn't be surprised if it drifts down to the single digits at some point because the market has little interest in this kind of story at this moment. That's good, though. It means you'll be able to get in at a discount. The bottom line, Grab may be the biggest SPAC deal so far, but it's, it's also the least SPAC-like. It's a real company, rapidly growing company. Real business and its back backer, Altimeter Growth, has agreed to a three-year lockup on its shares. Three years, meaning they will not crush you with a wave of selling the moment this thing gets some lift. I don't love the price right now, but if you wait for some weakness, and there probably will be, you've got my permission to do some buying. Stick with Kramer. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! It's time to light up the button! 
and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. The lightning round comes by. Jim in New York. Jim. Hey, Jimmy, chill. Yo, chill back. What's up? How, how are you, brother? I'm all right. They've been hitting me pretty hard when I uh, whatever it is, they, uh, Twitter. I, I kind of like that. What's going on? <laughs> All right, listen, I, 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 my stock uh, that I'm talking about today is uh, down about 30% from its highs, including 7% uh, again today. And it seems with all the online casino and sports betting in several states, including now in New York, uh, that Penn National Gaming should be a beneficiary of this. And uh, I want to see what your thoughts are. Well, we're trying to, yeah, well, we're, tell you the truth, Jim, we're trying to figure out how New York's going to do betting. I don't think it's going to let going to help Penn Nat. I think Penn Nat's doing very well. But here's what the what I keep hearing, which is that football is what people bet on, not the other sports. I happen to think that the uh, the sports book that Penn Nat has, which is Port Noise, is really good. So I'm going to stick by the stock. But it is still up for the year. And understand that there's a lot of hot money in Penn Nat. Let's go to Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. Thanks for all the insight you so generously oh, share. Oh, geez, that's nice. Thank you. Uh, my question is about a stock I know you like. Uh, I bought it 12 days ago, and it steadily dropped, likely due to prolonged insider selling. Do you think I should sell Williams-Sonoma, hold it, or buy no, more? No, no, I, I want you to hold Williams-Sonoma. Williams-Sonoma, goes, it goes in fits and starts. It just kind of marks time, goes down a little bit, and then it reports a great quarter, and then it rallies. I think you have to be in for that again. I think that Laura Albert's going to do a fantastic job. By the way, I just saw the RH catalog came this weekend. I don't know if you saw it. That stuff is gorgeous. It's a twofer. I think RH is going to have another great quarter. Let's go to Rom in California. Rom. Jim, go ahead, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? Doing great, Jim. Doing great. Jim, look, see, I have this, uh, I thought it's a value stock called PFSI, Pennymax Financial Services. Right, mortgage. I, yeah, I, I did get it around, what, 64-ish or something, but now, you know, I see the stock going down to 58, 59, stuff like that. So, wondering what's your, you know, we want that. I think you're fine with that. I mean, I think that. Uh, people are trying to figure out whether it's got uh, anything in particular that others don't have in mortgage lending. I don't think it's special enough to be exciting for me versus even owning a J.P. Morgan or Bank of America, though. Let's go to Dane in California. Dane. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate oh, I'm it. glad you're on the show, Dane. What's going on? Hey, I'm in a little bit of a uh, tough patch right here. I bought EXPI at like $73. Um, you had mentioned it was a pretty good company, but now it's just kind of going down and down, and I really don't know why. Well, I uh, think that, you know, first of all, you had Compass come, and then a lot of people felt that, like, real estate had peaked. And then you started thinking, is this really proprietary? There are a lot of people in mind who are constantly promoting EXP World Holdings, who I think are going to go away simply because the chart is bad and they got burned. Down here, I think you're okay, but it's a $4.9 billion valuation, and I think that is a little too high for a company that doesn't have anything that special. I know that they think they do. I apologize, but I don't see it. Let's go to Paul in Massachusetts. Paul. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I hope you and the crew are doing well. You guys do an amazing job. All right. Thank you. Thank uh, you. One, I'll keep it short and sweet. I want to see how you do, what you think about uh, the stock microvision, ticker MBIS. All right, this stock is so, uh, this is what I call a true battleground stock, okay? It's got a gigantic short position. The people who are short it uh, 
are always getting hurt by the people who just want to crush it. So I think it's a battleground, and you have to avoid battleground stocks. There are better fish to fry. Allen in Michigan. Allen. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. My question is uh, about United Wholesale Mortgage. Is that stock a good buy? Well, Matt, that was uh, Matt Ishbia who played for the uh, the national champion Morgan State, uh, Michigan State team. Uh, that I know that from um, internally. Uh, but I've got to tell you, uh, the guy came on. I thought he quit himself well. Uh, interest rates have come back down. I would not sell that stock here. It, it's just too low. You know what? We have time for one more. Let's talk. Let's talk to them. Let's go to Mike in California. Mike. Hey, Jim. Mike. I've been watching your show for 20 years. Keep going uh, strong. All right. Thank My you. My question is, yeah, yeah. My question is regarding a um, post-merge stack that is down from 25 to $7. Is it time to buy space mobile symbol ASTS? Holy cow. I hate to end the lightning round on a, uh, a question I don't know the answer to, but the SPAC crisp business has been so grim. I've got to do more work on a $7 stock that broke the buck. Let me come back. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, activists are whistling Dixie as GameStop Sherman is sent marching. Is it corporate strategy or just cannon fodder for the Reddit rebels? Kramer breaks it down next. We have a first on our hands. GameStop just encouraged its CEO, George Sherman, to step down after he delivered a 772% return on the stock year to date after today's move. 772% and he got shown the door. All right. Now, before you say that I've been mentally quarantined, I know GameStop's a weird situation. The move in the stock has little to do with management, everything to do with Ryan Cohen, the activist investor who will become chairman of the board, who started amassing a huge position in the stock last August. The Reddit crowd got behind GameStop because they believe in Cohen's leadership, not Sherman's. This is a case where the CEO is mostly just alone for the ride. But I think he deserves some credit for that. He didn't have to be alone for the ride. He could have jumped out of the car. Of course, maybe he wasn't pushed. Maybe he wanted out of an increasingly crazy situation. GameStop has put its fate in Ryan Cohen's hands, but we still don't really know what Cohen's thinking. He's talked boldly about digitizing GameStop, and this vague vision has been embraced by a legion of younger buyers, mostly the anonymous posters on Reddit's Wall Street Bets forum. Remember, Cohen co-founded Chewy, the digital pet food play, where current management makes sure you know he has nothing to do with the present Chewy. So a lot of people think he can reinvent GameStop in the same mold, even though digital gaming already has some well-entrenched competitors. And I, my personal view, it, it's not that much like mail-order dog food. As one of his last... As one of his last acts, Sherman sold a bunch of stock for the company, which allowed it to clean up its balance sheet and have a nice war chest, something I encouraged but was hated for. That sets GameStop up nicely for the future. But what matters now is the plan, assuming there is a plan. We don't actually know if Ryan Cohen has a plan. He certainly hasn't shared it with us. Maybe it's a secret plan, but the buyers believe in it, sight unseen. If GameStop really wants to harness all this meme stock energy, they could turn their 5,000-odd stores into Bitcoin banks, where you can exchange dollars for cryptocurrencies at good prices, all sorts of them. I don't know, make 20 of them. And then they newly renamed Crip Game. 
Uh, should rent out empty mall space, of which there's a ton, to set up huge e-gaming palaces. These are arcades where winners are paid in Ethereum or Dogecoin, for all I care. Take your pick. Will that work? No idea. But it's better than sticking with the hardware business, which is doing okay right now because of the new PlayStation and Xbox consoles. But only doesn't have much of a future these days. Everybody downloads their games. Now, I think there's a reason Cohen's being so, uh, why he's being so cagey, besides wanting me to finish this piece so he knows what to do tomorrow. As long as he does nothing, the stock can keep going higher. But the moment he tries something and it doesn't work immediately, people are just going to move on to the next stop. The next stock will just beckon, especially now that Sherman, the designated whipping boy, is gone. General Sherman, the march to 770 percent. Listen, some of these younger investors are banning the market. Uh, David Costin, the uh, Goldman Sachs, fantastic research analyst, he publishes a present weekend note. And this one was about the slowdown in buying from individual investors, and it's the younger investors, I think. Listen to this one. While online retail brokerage daily average trades are still up year over year, the growth in trading has dropped sharply from the peak of 250% in August 2020. Meanwhile, he says call option volumes are back down to last year's lowest levels. That's all the younger people who got completely blown out buying calls on Tesla and GameStop, but it was at 300. What is happening? Some of it is what I said at the top. Direct reflection of two things. The poor performance of turbocharged growth stocks that younger investors love and the inability of meme stocks like GameStop to regain the ephemeral heights that they captured in January. A lot of these people bought GameStop above $300 and they bought calls too. So it's hard for them to get excited when it's back down to the 160s. No wonder there's so much shareholder Ennui. Of course, the intensity of the crowd remains heated. There's a lot of chatter about how Keith Gill, a.k.a. Roaring Kitty, one of GameStop's biggest champions on Reddit, has now doubled the size of his multi-billion dollar position, obviously thrilled at Sherman's departure. But with Sherman out, this is now Ryan Cohen's baby. He no longer has a fall guy who can be blamed for any decision the anonymous posters don't like. I just hope the Wall Street bets crowd is a plan beyond GameStop, because at some point there'll be nothing left to say about this story, and they won't like what happens once their fellow shareholders start fading away. Memo to meme creators, get diversified. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.